Mom Training Podcast with Diana Ballard. Hey ladies, welcome to the Mom Training Podcast. I'm so excited today because we have Nate Bagley coming on our podcast episode today. So let me tell you a little bit about where I found him. I uh, took one of his classes, I guess you'd call it, a classes workshop, whatever, um, called the Epic Wife's Experiment. And there's actually a podcast um, that I talked about that back. I, I should probably go find out what episode that is. But I, I definitely explained that. It was such a cool thing. They gave us experiments every week to do that I tried out with my husband. And it was absolutely amazing. So I, that, that was kind of when I first got introduced to Nate. And so I, you know, been following along with some of the things and he sends out a lot of really good information in his emails and has a really amazing uh, membership program for, uh, you know, for husbands and wives to be able to learn about their, their marriage. Uh, it's just, it's just amazing. So I am really excited to introduce you to him. He's a marriage educator and a consultant that helps people get out of the roommate syndrome and help build their relationships back up. So Nate, welcome to the podcast and let's, let's have you tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure to be with you. So I have a, a, a really unique story. I didn't get into the marriage business because I became a therapist or because I went through a really rough divorce or anything. I actually started back when I was single. It was 2012. I was working a normal nine to five, pretty cushy job. And I was getting really frustrated with my relationship life. I kept dating these really great girls and then I would break up with them and because I, I, I was freaking out. And um, a lot of these girls would go on and marry the very next guy that they started dating. And it, it dawned on me, obviously there's nothing wrong with these women. They're incredible. They're wonderful. There's something wrong with me that my relationships aren't working out. And I think one of my deep fears, the, one of the reasons that my relationships kept failing is because I was afraid of failure. I didn't want to get married and make a lifetime commitment only to have things fall apart. And so the moment things started to look like they were going, looking like they were going sideways, I would abandon ship. And there was ultimately two things that I was really scared of. The first thing is really easy to articulate. It's divorce. I don't think anybody gets married and on their wedding day goes, well, I hope one day we get divorced. Like, obviously that's like an inherent fear. It's something that we all want to avoid, but I'm a firm believer, at least up till then, I realized that there was oftentimes a fate worse for a marriage than divorce. And it was this weird roommate syndrome thing where it looked like couples were together out of obligation. They stayed together because they made a commitment to stay together, but they weren't really having fun. They weren't feeling fulfilled. They weren't, they didn't have much passion or affection towards each other. And it felt like their relationships kind of just drifted into this weird limbo phase where the passion connection and, and vitality and life of their relationship kind of gets sucked dry. And what they're, they were left with was this like hollow husk of a relationship to endure for the rest of their lives together. And that was a fate I also wanted to avoid. I figured if I was going to get married, I wanted to do it right. So I ended up quitting my job and I traveled all across the United States and I interviewed couples who were madly in love with each other. And my goal was to figure out who are these couples that are doing it right? What are they doing that's keeping them from getting divorces, keeping them out of roommate syndrome, keeping their relationships vibrant and fun and exciting and engaging? And what are they all doing in common so that I can start stealing some of these things, these techniques and tools and principles and applying them to my own life? So that's kind of how I got my start. And I started publishing those interviews in my podcast and then started getting to know some of the top marriage researchers and therapists and authors and experts on the planet and have just become obsessed with answering this question of how do you create a relationship? 
that thrives over time, not one that just barely survives or even ends in a really ugly divorce. I love that. First of all, I absolutely love that you're a researcher and that you did it like for your own self starting in the beginning. Yeah. That's totally how, how my story got off too, like wanting to be a better mom. Like I, that is probably one of the best ways for someone to be able to teach. So like, you know, like hearing that, like, it's not that you were just like, Oh, I just want to be a marriage and family therapist, but like, I am determined to figure out how to make this successful. And I'm going to find people that I know have the results and can create that. So I think that's amazing that you've been able to take your own information and your own passion and desire and like turn it into something that can help other people. Like that's Thank just, you. that's just amazing. So I, a couple questions, like one, do you think that roommate syndrome like goes like kind of in and out? Like, is it something that can kind of like happen sometimes and then you kind of have to pull it back? Like, is, is that normal or, or is it like, yeah. you know, once you go roommate syndrome, you're there forever or you have to pull it back or is that something you're going to have to like watch back and forth? Get what I'm saying? Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. I, I think understanding roommate syndrome is key to having a great relationship. And one of the things that I have recently that I've learned about roommate syndrome is that it, it happens to every single relationship. It's inescapable. It is part of the natural course of anybody's relationship. So some people look at roommate syndrome and they're like, oh, if we drift, this is what I believed before I got married. I was like, oh, you get into roommate syndrome. That's just the inevitable fate of some couples. If you don't find the right person, you know, you, you marry the wrong person, you get into roommate syndrome, and then you just ride it out till you die or get divorced. And I have since learned that that is false. Roommate syndrome happens to everybody. And it's actually a symptom that your relationship is going right. It's, it's, it's following the natural course of what relationships are supposed to follow. The question is, what do you do with it? Some people do resign themselves. Some people do throw their hands in the air and say, well, we're in roommate syndrome. Maybe this is just all marriage is cracked up to be from here on out. The honeymoon phase is over. This is just life now and they endure it and they hope that their, their relationship survives or they look at it as the beginning of the end. And I'm a firm believer that this is a chapter in your marriage. And the cool thing is, is if you learn to, we, and we can talk more about this in a moment, but you learn to outgrow roommate syndrome. You learn to, you can get curious and figure out what's causing roommate syndrome um, the great thing about it is that you can outgrow it. You can, you can learn tools, skills, principles, and implement them and actually change who you are as a, as a person and, and motivate your partner to change who they are as a person and completely change the dynamic of your relationship and lift yourself up out of roommate syndrome. So I think it happens oftentimes more than once in relationships. There's a really great principle um, created by David Schnarch. He, it's called the growth and comfort cycle. And the idea is that, um, you, you know, you kind of go in and out of these two circles throughout your relationship, throughout your marriage, you start in the comfort cycle and, you know, things are comfortable. You, they're, they're familiar. It feels really nice, predictable, but at some point the predictability starts to make you feel a little bit bored. You're starting to get a little stir crazy. And at that point you get the opportunity to take a risk, to step outside of your comfort zone to shake things up a little bit. And when you do that, there's some anxiety, there's some uncertainty, there's some unpredictability that gets introduced to the relationship. It can cause a little bit of stress. It can cause some pain and some difficult conversations. It can cause, also cause uh, some enjoyment, some adventure. Um, and then if you stay in that outside loop of the, the, the growth circle for too long, you start to feel unsafe. 
And so you gotta, you gotta kind of drift back into that, into that safety circle and hang out there for a while until the new becomes a little bit more comfortable and familiar again. And so technically a great relationship is constantly moving in and out of that growth, out of the growth circle and into the um, comfort circle and then out of the comfort circle and back into the growth circle again. So it is a little cyclical. Oh, meaning like the growth circle and the comfort circle, like meaning like a person's changing, like meaning they, they take on something new. So it's not necessarily changing something in the relationship. It might just be like changing a family dynamic of like someone yeah, going to work part-time or something like that. It could absolutely be both, you know, like for example, um, my wife and I just recently had a, a baby about 18 months ago. And when we first had our daughter, everything was crazy. So that was, that was, uh, you know, we introduced something crazy new into our life, this new little baby. And so things got chaotic, things got crazy. There was lots of poopy diapers and screaming as you, as you all know, you know, you're all moms, you know how that life is. And we were just kind of trying to survive. And as time went by, she started sleeping, she started eating. We kind of got used to her mannerisms and her personality and we settled into a groove and we got really comfortable. And we were in this kind of sweatpants phase where there was not a whole lot of effort being put into the relationship. We had kind of gotten used to the survival mode and we weren't like, we, we weren't necessarily having lots of meaningful, deep conversations. We weren't necessarily talking a lot about what we wanted out of life. We weren't thinking about the things that we had stopped doing uh, since the baby had been born and how we could re-implement them. And we were kind of feeling a little bit like roommates. You know, we weren't having as much sex. We weren't even really thinking about it as much. And then, you know, at some point you, you get a little wake up call and it's like, oh, we're in a funk. We are, we're watching a lot of Netflix and scrolling on our phones a lot and kind of just coasting. And uh, that's when we started having conversations about, hey, what do we need to do to shake things up again? We have some more bandwidth now that we're not in survival mode. We've gotten comfortable with this new baby. What can we do to reprioritize our relationship? And one of the things we decided to do was move to Costa Rica for a little while. It was a crazy risk and there was a lot of a lot of backstory to it, but we decided that a change in location for us for a couple of months was going to be really healthy and really good for our family and for our relationship. It also came with a lot of pain and a lot of new things, new challenges that we've had to um, overcome, but stepping outside of our comfort zone, moving to a new country and tackling this new challenge, this new opportunity has really brought a whole new meaning and a whole new level of closeness and intimacy into our relationship again. I love that. So are you saying is roommate syndrome like always a bad thing? Can it be a good thing? Cause it kind of sounds like you're talking about like you guys are shaking things up a little bit and yeah. you know, it may be kind of challenging to do that, but it kind of pulled you out of that roommate syndrome, but made you closer. So I'm curious yeah. what your thoughts are about it being good or bad. Roommate syndrome, a better way of describing roommate syndrome syndrome is when you encounter your limitations. So let me, uh, let me use an analogy here. Um, if your partner was, metaphorically speaking, a giant city, and when you got married to them, you kind of moved into this new city. Well, when my wife and I moved into our home back in Utah, it was a little weird. We didn't know any of our neighbors. We didn't know where anything was. And the first thing we did in the first couple of weeks is we found out where the grocery store was. We found out where the bank was. We found out what route we needed to take to get to work, where grandma and grandpa's house was. 
And once we kind of got our five or six roots in place, we stuck to those roads and we didn't really go out and explore the rest of our, our new city. And I remember at one point, a couple, uh, a couple months into our journey there, a friend of mine was like, Hey, do you want to go to dinner? And I was like, yeah, for sure. And he's like, Hey, I want to, let's meet up at this awesome restaurant. And it was this Mexican restaurant. And I'm like, sounds great. And I realized it was like four or five minutes from my house. And I never even knew it was there. And we went there and we ate and it was incredible. And we never knew, I never knew it was there because I never explored down that road. Like it was just one of the roads that was off my usual path. And so what I realized, what roommate syndrome is, is kind of, you get paired up with your partner and there's conversations and habits and, and ways that you live your life that become patterns and they become comfortable. And eventually something might happen. Somebody might get sick. You might be having a, a consistent disagreement. Um, there might be, somebody might get a new job, but something happens, it's gonna force you a little bit outside of that routine. And it's gonna feel really uncomfortable. So it's pushing on, it's pushing on your limitations. It's making you explore areas of your life, your personality, uh, the way that you live your life it's, it's making you, to, to, it's making you go a different path and that can be scary. There's potential of getting lost. There's potential of getting hurt. And when we learn to tolerate a little bit of discomfort and tolerate a little bit of anxiety and check out what's off the beaten path, that's, that's when we get to move outside of roommate syndrome, but roommate syndrome and its best definition that I think of is, is kind of when we're comfortable living our life going down those same five or six conversations, same five or six habits, you know, your date nights are always to the same restaurant. You go on vacation to the same places. If you go on vacation at all, you have sex the exact same way. Like everything feels really scripted and almost too comfortable. That kind of sounds like there's not a lot of spice or fun as much as it, it could be. Yeah. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's like I said, a product of being in a relationship. It's just a bad thing. If you stay there for too long, sometimes it feels good to be in roommate syndrome for a little while. It feels good to be comfortable and to have a solid routine. And that's, that's really nice. We need that as humans, but you can't stay there. If you stay there, then there's nothing that differentiates your differentiates your marriage relationship from that of a normal, like a college roommate. You share a house, you share the bills, you share some food, you clean each other's dirty dishes and sometimes get resentful about it. You obviously might share some kids and that might be a little bit different. Maybe not if you have a third roommate and they're really irresponsible, but ultimately the thing that differentiates your relationship with your partner from everybody else's is the level of intimacy that you share with them, physical, sexual, spiritual, intellectual, you know, and if, if you get too comfortable and too complacent and only play, only play where you're comfortable, um, you're missing out on a lot of adventure and novelty and excitement that is actually key to having a really great relationship. Okay. So then how do you find that excitement and that adventure and that novelty? Like, how do you get, how do you, what do you do to get out of that roommate syndrome and like introduce those back in, I guess? Yeah. Cause there's, there's definitely fun ways to get outside of roommate syndrome, but there's also moments in your life where you're going to have to do some really painful things to get outside of roommate syndrome. So fun things are like thinking about the routine, normal things that you do and how could you make them fun and exciting and and connecting again? For example, every night, everybody washes the dishes 
And for most people, it's a job that people hate. Nobody really looks, few people look forward to washing the dishes after dinner. But if you flip on an awesome dance playlist that you both love, or maybe the playlist that you played at your wedding and you wash the dishes together and have a little dance party while you do it, suddenly the dishes are not so intolerable. You're sharing the responsibility. You've added a little um, fun to it to make it a little less un unbearable. And in some cases, you might even actually really look forward to washing the dishes, especially if maybe after you finish everything, you have a little slow dance in the kitchen, you know, have a little kiss, a little romantic moment, light a candle or something like that. I have friends who do this and it works amazingly well for them. So another simple thing is um, when, when you're reunited with your partner at the end of the day, what if you just, when whoever comes home or comes out of their home office or whatever, what if you just greeted them, greeted your partner with some enthusiasm? I call this the golden retriever. What if the moment that you walked through the door or your partner walked through the door, you were just more excited than you've been all day to, to wag your tail and, and smile and like jump on your partner and cover him in hugs and kisses and just be like, I'm home, I'm home, I'm home, you're home, you're home. Like It's such a simple thing. But knowing at the end of the day, every day, you're going to be greeted with a smile and some excitement and enthusiasm can really turn a crappy day into a, an amazing day. So there's these little things that we can do to spice up our relationship and add a little, breathe a little bit of life into it. But on the flip side of that, there's, um, there's some difficult things that we sometimes need to confront. Uh, things that are, they're the limitations that we want to avoid the most. For example... Uh, a, a great thing to talk about is sex because we all have our hangups on sex. We all have things in our mind that <clears throat> are like off limits or they're taboo or they're bad or they're wrong. And we all come into our relationship with these preconceived notions of what sex is acceptable and then all the things that are unacceptable. And then your partner also comes into the relationship with that same mindset. And then wherever your Venn diagrams overlap of what's acceptable after you've ruled everything else out, that's kind of what your sex life consists of. And if neither one of you is ever willing to expand a little bit outside your comfort zone and, and consider something that might've been off limits or get curious about why something's been ruled out, then your sex life is gonna be pretty boring and vanilla. And Dr. Schnarch, the man I quoted earlier, says that most people's sex lives consist of sexual leftovers. It's what's left over after both of you have eliminated all the things that you're not willing to do. And he's like, you can't really make a choice if all you're choosing from is your limitations. So in order to have a really vibrant and thriving sex life, one of the things you need to learn to do is become comfortable exploring or getting curious about um, maybe some of the things that you've ruled out. You know, there, there's, I'm not gonna tell people what they should and shouldn't do, but that can be a really uncomfortable conversation. It can really push you outside your comfort zone to say, hey, I wanna try a, a new position or I wanna turn the lights on or I might wanna try this new, like a toy that we've never tried before. Uh, the list goes on and on. And that can be a really vulnerable conversation. It can be really scary. But if you have the conversation and it goes well, the other side of that is like a whole new world of pleasure and connection that you can experience. So there's, there's things like that. You know, I, I'm one of the, my anxieties is taxes. I really, really struggle to, to talk about taxes. It's like a, such a stressful topic for me. But as I learn to navigate my anxiety and be more calm, what opens up is that taxes become easier and it's less of a conflict on our relationship and we progress. As long as I run away from the tax conversation, I'm holding our relationship back and we get stuck in 
perpetual arguments about, did you do the taxes yet? Have you found somebody to take care of the taxes? Have you done your bookkeeping? And it just becomes a mess. So um, those are just some examples of the, the uncomfortable side of getting out of roommate syndrome. It does require you to self-confront. It requires you to ask hard questions. It requires you to stare in the mirror and not scapegoat yourself, not let yourself off the hook and really get curious about in what ways am I complicit in allowing myself to avoid confronting the confronting my own limitations that might be preventing us from having an even better relationship than the one that we have right now. So kind of what I'm hearing is like excuses too of like, Oh, well, this is why we only do this thing this way, or this is why, you know, this, you know, this is our just normal schedule and it can, it can really take a toll on it. Like, uh, I'll just say like, we just had our fourth kid. She's seven months today, actually. And, um, you know, it, I think, I feel like during this period right now, we've been more in the roommate syndrome than ever, you know, yep. because it's like, added, it's added something new and, but it's like, you know, we're still, we're so routine and we're like, oh, we're really tired. So we're going to go to bed and, and, you know, different things like that, where it's like our relationship hasn't been put as, as a higher priority as it has before. And so like, I'm really interested in, in, you know, what you're talking about right now about trying to like really switch it up a little bit to, to kind of, you know, bring back a little bit of that, you know, intimacy and in lots of different levels. Right. Yeah. So um, I love that. Cause I, I feel like a lot of people struggle with this or just feeling like they're not connected with their spouse or, you know, that, um, you know, I will bring up too, that I feel like when a mom uh, you know, just speaking from a, a woman's perspective, when a mom doesn't feel her best, you know, and she doesn't like her body or she's, yep. you know, like overtired or, you know, overstimulated and stuff, it's really hard to want to like connect with another person. And so I feel like, you know, the self-care of the mom is so important too, because, Dude. you know, if you're not feeling good, like you're definitely not going to want to spend the time to connect when you've you know, been taking care of kids all day or just have like a million different things on your plate and stuff like that. You're so absolutely what, right. So yeah. what do you recommend to, <clears throat> um, to spouses that like have a hard time prioritizing their relationship, you know, because obviously like to get out of roommate syndrome, you have to have time and energy to actually work on it. So like, what advice would you give to somebody that's like, you know, I, it continually keeps getting pushed off. I know I need to work on this, but I continually just keep doing my same routine. Yeah. There's this, there's a really interesting, uh, I did a podcast on this a couple of weeks ago, this concept called the Eisenhower matrix. And this is something, it's a tool that president Eisenhower used when he became president of the United States to handle all the affairs of the nation. And you can imagine that probably the, one of the busiest jobs in the world is being the president of the United States of America, like the, yeah, it's, it's a hectic, crazy job. Lots of decisions need to be made and there's still pressure to balance your family life somehow, despite being responsible for all of the things that you have on your plate. So he realized that if he didn't um, figure out a way to make decisions and make them effectively and, and um, efficiently and really focus on the things that mattered, that he could easily get drowned in the, the details of the presidency and lose touch with all of the things that were most important to him, including his family. So he just, he created this matrix. And on one side of the matrix um, was urgent, important, 
it was urgent and the other side was important. I think it was. And so you have, you have things that are urgent and important. You have things that are important and not urgent. You have things that are urgent and not important. And then you have things that are not important and not urgent. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so that's what you have in this matrix. And the goal was he wanted to spend the majority of his time, as much time as he possibly could in the area of the matrix that was important and not urgent. And he's like, the, the most difficult thing in the world is trying to tell the difference between things that are urgent and things that are important because things that are urgent feel important, but we have to be clear on what our values, when we're clear on what our values are, it's a lot easier to make these decisions. Um, but, but this is a practice. It's a practice of being able to look at, at something that's urgent, pounding on your door going, I need you. I need your attention. I need your attention. I need your attention. And to take a deep breath and go, you know what? I understand that you're urgent right now, but something that is maybe more important than you, but less urgent requires my attention. And, you know, there's some cases where urgent and important comes into play and, and might trump the uh, important and not urgent stuff. But his goal was to minimize the amount of important and urgent things by trying to plan so that urgent, urgent matters didn't arise. Mm -hmm. So he spent the majority of his time taking care of things that were urgent and not important and trying to differentiate and minimize the amount of urgent things that showed up in his life. And I think if we could take a, pa a page out of President Eisenhower's book and really examine what are the things that are important to us and what are the things that are coming up in our life that are urgent, 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 that we keep giving our time, energy, and attention to, and then start thinking of consciously ways that we can say no to those urgent things, um, we're going to find our schedule freeze up pretty quickly. There's, there's a lot of like... A great example. This is a gr I know everybody's had this experience. You're talking to your partner, you're having a meaningful conversation or important conversation, and then your phone dings and you pull it out of your hand, you pull it out of your pocket or you pick it up from the table and you look at it. So you just in that moment chose something urgent. The ding, the, the alert on my phone is more important to me than something important. This conversation I'm having with my partner. And then how much time do we spend scrolling after that ding or, or distracted? You know, uh, maybe we get sucked into a television program and our partner's having a rough day, but we kind of numb out and, and we're watching TV. You know, we spend a lot of time doing things. I think the most dangerous things are the not urgent, not important things that take up our, our day, take up our time and energy when we could be spending things on spending that time and energy on th things that are actually important. You know, that's the second thing is you could do examine your life for things that are not urgent and not important and how much time you spend doing that. Check your screen report on your phone. I guarantee you, you're spending several hours a day doing things on your phone that are not urgent and they're not important. They're just time kills. It's just a, it's a time suck. It doesn't even like, you might say, oh, it's self-care. But most of the time, I think the time that you spend on your phone with some exceptions, you might be talking to a friend, but most of the things that you do on that we do, not just you, I do this as well, that we do on our phones doesn't leave us feeling rejuvenated, doesn't feel, leave us feeling energized. We don't feel more excited to go tackle the day. It's just a distraction from our stresses and our worries. And if we were to choose to maybe do something that was important, like go hit the gym or call a friend and connect with them or get outside and go for a walk or um, take care of maybe something urgent, like the, the pile of dishes or the, the carpet that needs to be cleaned, um, schedule an appointment, you know, getting some things checked off your checklist 
you're actually going to feel a lot better than if you just waste your time on things that are not urgent and not important. So those are the two things I would say is get clear on what's important and what's urgent and learn how to say no to the things that are urgent and also examine your life for not urgent and not important things so that you can eliminate them from your life and spend your time, energy, attention, and money on things that are important. And I think that comes down to like what you were talking about, about the hard conversations or like the work that you have to put in, because sometimes we might have to look at our life and be like, Hey, what exactly is taking my time? Where do I don't, where do I not have a good boundary other places? I have to tell you one thing that my husband said to me recently when I was like, man, I just feel like I haven't been able to take care of myself as well. And believe me, he said this in love. So this wasn't, but he said, Diana, it's, it's not our fault that you don't have boundaries in this area. And I was like, Ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like uh, me not being able to eat breakfast until nine 30 in the morning when we've got up at seven, because I'm running, doing things for so many other people was not their problem. It was mine, you know, and to be able to actually look at that. And so now it's like, I actually make my breakfast first now. And I get there and then I sit down and eat it. And they, I, I'm not helping you with anything else until mommy's done with her breakfast. Right. That was my, that was my problem. That was me not having a boundary and just, and letting everything urgent or the, everything that was pulling at me. Like I need that, you know, this, can you help me with this? Can you tie my dress? Can you fix my hair? Can you do that? You know, all these different things when literally me sitting down for like seven minutes to eat my breakfast. Right. Like, I mean, it's over like that. And it's, I'm taken care of, I can pop my vitamins in and I'm, I'm, I'm done for the day, you know, the morning and I can go about without being angry or without like, you know, feeling like, oh my gosh, my day has just ran away from me. Like I took care of myself and that's literally what I have to do in that moment. And so I think it really is looking and seeing like, Hey, where do I not have a boundary with this time or where those urgent things, you know, that are pulling at me and realizing that there are certain things that are important. And our relationship with our spouse is very important. That is, in my opinion, is the foundation to a happy home, because if you yeah. have, you know, disharmony with your spouse, then it's going to affect everything else in the home. More than you know, too. <clears throat> I was interviewing John and Julie Gottman uh, a while back, and I asked John Gottman, if, if you're not familiar with their work, um, listeners, he, John Gottman is the leading marriage researcher on the planet. He's done over 40 years of longitudinal marriage research and can predict divorce with over a 96% accuracy after watching couples argue for like 10 minutes. He's incredible and he knows relationships better than anybody. And one of the research studies he quoted to me that was fascinating is he said that they're able to take urine samples from children as young as just a couple of months old, and they can derive from the amount of stress hormones in the kid's urine, the quality of their parents' marriage. So they can basically, kids younger than one, and then obviously older, they absorb the stress and the, and the anxiety and the disagreements. Like they absorb that and they feel it and, and it shows up in their own biology. They're going to be more likely to get sick. They become hypersensitive to conflict. Like a lot of crazy things can happen before kids can even talk. They can feel, they can feel this. And so, you know, if you, if you think that you can hide the conflict from your children and just fake it, fake a good, a good marriage and they won't know, you're kidding yourself. Like this, the more the science comes out, the more, the more the research comes out, it it proves that if you want to have a happy family, if you want to have vibrant kids that learn and and grow and that are well-rounded, a huge impact on that is the type of relationship that you have with your partner and ignoring that or putting it even under the, 
putting it below the priority of, of your children is even very dangerous in my opinion. So. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I've seen that. I mean, I know through 2020 and even 2021, the stress levels from lots of different, you know, things, it really did create a lot of, so I would say that was probably like our rockiest time that we went through yeah. just because there were so many stressors. Right. Yep. So, and I mean, luckily, no you know, escape. things you what? And no escape. It was like, a, it was like a uh, pressure cooker. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully it's getting better for other people. I know it's gotten better for us. Definitely. Um, but yeah. yeah, again, that's been a lot of the conversations and the work and, and building up again and stuff like that. Um, but I, I want you to tell us a little bit about your, your program that you have. I, um, tell us a little bit about what it is, your membership. Um, yeah. Tell, tell our mamas about that. Yeah, cool. So I'm a firm believer that the way that we create really, truly vibrant, amazing relationships is we've got to be consistent doing the things that matter. And most people really struggle with consistency and they also really struggle with knowing what are the things that will make the biggest difference in our relationship. You know, when you talk to somebody and ask them, hey, what do you need to do to have a great marriage? They'll say things like, oh, you need to go on date night and you should never go to bed angry and you got to put your partner's needs above your own. And those are, those are nice sentiments, but they don't really yield very high results, especially if they're not done the right way. And uh, it's like, a good analogy is like you can cut grass with scissors, but isn't it a lot more efficient and effective to do it with a riding lawnmower? And the tools that most people have been given to cut their grass or maintain their relationship is scissors. And what I try to provide them with is the lawnmower to make, to make caring for their relationship a lot more effective and efficient. So it's called the Epic Marriage Club. And every week I send out a little experiment, kind of like the Epic Wives experiment. And it's, a, it's an activity. It's a, something that you can do in five minutes or less that will strengthen your relationship and help you build positive momentum in, in your marriage. And on top of that, I have some incredible resources like uh, workshops and interviews from some of the top relationship experts on the planet. And my goal is to just provide you with all of the tools and resources and knowledge that you need to become the master of your relationship, to to ensure that keep it moving in a positive trajectory. So yeah, that's, that's the bread and butter of it. That's kind of the backbone of it. It's, it's, uh, I, 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 I want to use an analogy, um, to explain why I created that, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. So, um, I am not the most gifted, <laughs> Uh, man, when it comes to like handyman stuff, uh, I, I, if you, this is a good example. If you were to drop me on a plot of land, like an acre plot with a bunch of tools and a bunch of supplies like wood and sheetrock and brick and, and nails and screws. And you were to let, say, Nate, build your dream home. We're going to leave you here for a year. You've got everything you need. Just build your dream home. And when we come back in a year, we want to see what you build. I guarantee you at the end of that year, I would have built something. I know that. But I also guarantee you that the thing that I built would look nothing like my dream home. Now, I have good taste, I think. Like I, if I'm scrolling through Zillow or driving through a neighborhood, like I recognize a beautiful house when I, when I see one. Yeah. So it's not, it's not like a lack of taste that I have. It's just a lack of skill in translating my taste, what I want, into reality. 
And I think a lot of couples have that same realization after they get married, they, they get married. They're so in love. They're like, I'm going to create this life with my, with this, my, my person. They see me, they get me. Nothing could ever get in our way. We're going to build something incredible together. And then a couple of years in, uh, maybe after a couple of kids, they take a step back and they go, what the heck? The thing that we have built does not look like the thing that I wanted to build. I had a vision and we did not execute on that vision. And so the Epic Marriage Club is meant to help people take a step back, get some of those tools, get some of those resources, kick out a few walls, bust out the paint and kind of rebuild or remodel the relationship that they have so that it looks more and more over time, like the thing that they dreamed of, or maybe even better than the thing that they dreamed of when they first fell in love. I love that. Yeah. And ladies, uh, Nate actually has a 30 day free trial, um, that you guys can, uh, try out the Epic Marriage Club and, yeah. and dive Come in hang and, out for 30 and days. try it. Yeah. I love so that. Just, you just go to epicmarriageclub.com slash plan and pick either a, a monthly or an annual plan and you'll get to use it for free for 30 days. And if you hate it or you're not seeing results, by all means, cancel. I'm confident enough to know that if you follow through and take action on some of the things that I ask you to do in that first month, you're going to start seeing some pretty awesome results and you'll want to hang around. Um, but if not, like you don't have anything to lose, just drop in, sign up, come hang out with me for a month, see how it goes and see if we can create some positive momentum and transformation in your relationship, make it look more like what you hoped it would look like when you first fell in love. Yeah. Well, and I will say like with the, um, Epic wife's experiment, that was, I think it was for a month. Was it? Yeah. It was a one month yeah. program. Yeah. yeah. That was, I mean, that was 30 days and that was a lot of fun. Like the experiments were fun. The you know, the community that we all talked about yeah. things. And, and I was just, that was a really good thing. So what, ladies, oh, go can ahead. you give me like a quick glimpse into what happened for you participating like a before and after in the Epic Marriage, Epic Wise experiment? Yeah. Well, I just think that with the, with having the experiments, it just gave it something like new to try. So, you know, like you're saying, like you have like things that you know, we're going date nights or we do this and this and this, right. And we have these things that we always go back to of like, oh, this is what's supposed to build a good relationship. But with the Epic Wife experiment, it was fun because the experiments were like, you know, different things like, you know, are you practice smiling more or can you, um, <clears throat> you know, when they come in through the door, like, can you react a different way or different things, just the kind of things that you didn't really think about, but it kind of gave you like, it was something simple. It wasn't like, you know, you have to do like this really like in-depth, you know, huge thing, you know, it was, it was something that was fun and it was exciting to try and you could see results from it like instantly, you know? So like that what was, some, was what were some of the fun. results that you saw. So I, I just think that, um, a lot more laughter and a lot more fun and, I, I feel like a lot of attention came back from him for me, like doing the experiments of like smiling more or like greeting him at the door. Like, you know, later that day, like there'd be a lot more like affection that came back yeah. um, and, you know, a lot more like connection. And I think it just kind of like made my heart like more turned towards the relationship and given it like more attention. And so it made him turn towards me, you know, and so it just kind of like, it, it. it changed him. And I didn't tell him, I didn't tell him that I was even doing this. And that was the fun part was that he didn't know that for 30 days I was experimenting. So that, I feel like that even made it better because it was like, it was, it was a, 
I got to see the results without being like, oh, just so you know, I've taken this epic wife experience to just like, just, I want you to realize like what a cool wife I am. So, right. you know, so it was really, it was a really fun cool. thing to try out. I, I really, so the fact that, you know, you're doing that in the epic marriage club where they get experiments and different things like that is fun. It is, it is nice to have something that prompts you to do something cool in your marriage or different in your marriage. And so I love, I love the way that you've set up your membership here. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Well, the other cool thing is we're doing something in your membership, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. So ladies, next week, we're going to have Nate speak to us. We're really excited about it. We're going to really dive into some, some amazing details about how to help our marriage thrive, how to get out of when we're, you know, having a hard time communicating with our spouse and, and how to be a better spouse ourselves when we feel like we're falling short so those are um, some of the topics that have come up with our ladies and mom training that have been uh, topics that they're really interested in learning about. And so we're so excited to have Nate teach us. So next week in mom training, we're going to be diving in for a whole hour. Uh, there's Q and A's. Everyone can, uh, you know, the chat's on fire. The, you know, you can, you know, raise your hand and actually talk to Nate. Um, we're going to have a little uh, he's going to teach us some things and then we're going to really open it up to questions about what, what we really need in our marriages. And so it's going to be amazing. So I, if you're not in mom training yet, I highly recommend going to dianaballard.com and signing up for that to be in that next week, because it's going to be really good. Um, and we're going to record it. So there will be replay that we can, you know, go back and listen to it again and really uh, go through the information. So you want to make sure that you're in there. So if you've enjoyed Nate today, I highly recommend checking out his um, Epic Marriage Club and also getting in mom training to get some more information there. Um, and real quick before we go, Nate, where can they find you? I know on your website, but are you on social media? Like where can they connect with you? Yeah, I don't spend much time on social media because it is one of those things that is not urgent and not important from for me in my life. So the place I post the most if you want to get in touch with me is um, on YouTube. I post a video every week to help strengthen your relationship. Um, so that's a good place to, to find me. And it's just the growth marriage um, YouTube channel. Cool. That's awesome. We'll put that in the show notes then for them to be able to find that. So Sweet. thank you so much, Nate, for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I, I know I've learned some, something today, ladies, that I can apply to my own marriage. And so I hope you have too. And uh, tune in next Tuesday and we'll, uh, see you in mom training with Nate next week and, uh, have a great rest of your day and we'll see you next Tuesday on the mom training podcast.